Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And in this week's podcast, we find out what it takes to complete Scotland's toughest multi-day race, the Cape Wrath Ultra. Record holder and ultra running coach Marcus Scottney explains how to train for and get through this 250 mile, that's 400 kilometers, eight day race in Scotland in the UK. In this episode, you'll find out how Marcus recommends training for this epic wilderness ultra, why he doesn't recommend doing back-to-back days or long strength training sessions in the gym. We also talk about what he considers essential kits, the importance of what he calls bagmin, and what he ate as a vegetarian at that time, and how hard the navigation is, and how best to manage yourself at camp each night to avoid fatigue, injury, and blisters. Finally, he compares Cape Wrath Ultra to the five-day Dragon's Back race across Wales and other multi-day ultras that he's completed like the Coastal Challenge, the Spine Race, the UTMB, and almost, almost the Marathon de Sable. Join us live on YouTube every Wednesday for your chance to ask your questions to our awesome guests and support me on Patreon to guarantee your question gets an answer. Listen till the end to find out who next week's guest is. For more trail and ultra running advice, gear reviews and inspiration, subscribe to Wild Ginger Running on YouTube, it's totally free, and follow me on Instagram at Wild Ginger Running. Links to Patreon, the YouTube version of this episode, and any other resources or gear that we talk about here are in the podcast show notes. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel. Tonight, I am so excited. I'm here with Cape Wrath Ultra record holder, ultra runner, sports therapist, coach, and actor, Marcus Scottney. How's it going, Marcus? Hey, Claire. Good, thanks. It's like double ginger, isn't it? <laughs> it's ginger and stereo tonight. Yeah, in case anybody is um, listening to the podcast after this episode, which I have just started, check it out on all major podcast suppliers. Um, Marcus also has a wonderful crop of ginger hair. So um, when I started the channel, I thought maybe I can only interview ginger people, but I soon had to variate <laughs> from that. Um, but yeah, how's it going at the moment with um, all of this, uh, the COVID outbreak and everything? I s- you live really close to the Peak District, so it must be not too bad. Yeah, well, we, we live in the Peak District. Um, so in some respects, we kind of feel a little bit isolated by it. We live in a small village, um, which actually kind of brought the village a little bit closer together. Um, seeing a lot more people out and about, kind of on our daily exercise and walk. Um, for myself, um, so I, my kind of the clinic where I work as a sports therapist, uh, that was closed right beginning of a lockdown. So I stopped um, working doing sports therapy two days a week and the rest of the time I'm just focusing on coaching. So as somebody who's self-employed, um, yeah, I was quite quickly affected by the, the lockdown and kind of losing part of my income, like so many other people who are self-employed. So kind of can sympathise um, with so many people who are self-employed. And then Jen was made to work from home, so it's quite nice to have Jen back around the house. And there's no furlough, so we're kind of like hunting around the house together, uh, which is quite nice to have around. And I've also been starting with an injury, so leading up to the kind of COVID breakout, I was meant to be doing MDS for the first time, which I was super excited about, couldn't wait to get out to, but there's a, well, I had a niggling knee and 
kept trying to kind of get things sorted, getting lots of different treatment on it, and it just wouldn't settle itself down. So when MDS was cancelled, I think I was probably maybe just one of the only person who was actually dancing around the kitchen, knowing it's kind of postponed to September because I knew I could get my knee sorted out, have some rest time, time off. Um, so actually, I've had six weeks off running and just been on dog walking duty, but I've started back this week um, and hopefully running pain-free as well now. That's perfect timing, isn't it? I know it's such it's such a shame and it's terrible for so many people, but for somebody with an injury, uh, that's actually amazing timing. Um, and I can't believe that you're about to do MDS because later um, in the show, we're going to ask you how the Cape Breath Ultra compares to races like Dragon's Back, Coastal Challenge, UTMB. And I was going to say, have you run MDS? But know the answer now, so we won't know until next year now. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I mean, kind of rescheduled for September but you kind of wonder you know remember what's happening and the restrictions and travel and so on and so forth whether or not it will go ahead in September I mean I hope it does but there's also part of me that's kind of thinking you know it's possible we might not be doing any races till the new year. Yeah it's everyone's just sort of like oh 2021 then. <laughs> yeah you know you know there's far worse things happening you know there's people losing loved ones there's people working on the line and yeah, we've got to keep things in perspective of what's happening and uh, at the end of the day, it is just just a race in some respects. Yeah, yeah, wise words, wise words. And I think we're going to have a lot more wise words from you um, today on this live chat because I want to start with um, a very interesting story which Rich Simpson has asked me to ask you about. He said, um, can you ask if there's time about his other story with regards to his broken jaw on the 1994 Kim, which is the Carrymore International Mountain Marathon, which is now the OM, the original mountain marathon. Um, so yeah, we, we need to do this in a bit of a massive nutshell, but can you tell us a, a little bit more about your story, Marcus? Yeah, a little aside there, I actually planned the first OM as well in 2005. Hey, In wow. the Gallery in the Galway Forest Park, but there we go. That's cool, another. check you out, that's awesome. Uh, another, another sort of shows how many years I spent running mountain marathon. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it's on my um, bio on my, on my website, and it kind of, to me, 1994 was quite a prominent year in my life. Um, it's the year I turned 20, and... The year I did my first ever mountain marathon proper kind of endurance event, and I'd also done an ultra back in April in trying to get into the, the Kim. I'd always been involved in orienteering as a teenager, growing up at school, got introduced to it. Um, it was pretty kind of successful, was Avon School's orienteering champion when I was 16. Um, but then around that time of 16, I started going off the rails, um, just being rebellious, long haired ginger teenager. Um, more interested in acting and playing in bands, uh, really big into my kind of heavy metal, flash metal music scene, um, and th and that was kind of became a bigger influence in my life in sport and orienteering. And I still enjoy being in the outdoors and I still love doing stuff like that. Um, but that music scene became a lot more kind of key area in my life. And within that music scene, I then started to kind of dabble in drugs, um, and I found kind of doing cannabis and being able to have a hangover and I could still next day be kind of rehearsing with a band. Kind of fast forward to my A-levels when things really kind of spiral out and um, I don't really apply myself to my A-levels and come out with not great results only passing one and I end up moving up to Leicester. So I grew up in a place called Portishead, 
I've got this event coming up uh, at the end of the month. My birthday is beginning of October, so I've got to put it up on the six, and this is like coming up to the end. Like, um, can I can I still do this event with this? And he went, well, what is it? And I said, well, it's kind of like, um, uh, and uh, you know, in the mountains, kind of a bit, kind of orienteering. He went, you didn't understand that. He said, is it walking or running? And I could kind of see if I said running, he would say no. So he said, walking. And went, okay, as long as you take it really easy. And you keep on the liquid diet, you should be okay. Um, <laughs> I hadn't stayed on the liquid diet by then because I, like, I was getting really bored of liquidizing. My mum even liquidized a full roast dinner oh, the first my evening God. I got oh, home, which wow. just looked like, no, no, it's not wow. It <laughs> did it look like vomit? <laughs> <laughs> it did look like vomit. It was, oh, you could no. taste the sauce in it. But, oh, <laughs> yay. So I was allowed to do, do my first. Kim, so we did the B class with kind of wire and oh. I was taking so much cocaine, it just absolutely, it, it was so painful, it just kept locking up. Oh. I was trying to eat high five bars, had just come out, high five just come out, and I was trying to chew the time to get high five oh, bar. Oh no. Um, and drinking lots of stuff. But yeah, so my, my jaw hurt more than my legs than my first ever mountain marathon. Oh. Um, <laughs> and to me, I kind of thought, well, if I can do a mountain marathon with a broken jaw, then that's pretty much I'm going to be able to suffer in a lot of ways during races. So, yeah, so my first Kim in 94. And then I think it was 98, I nearly drowned on the Kim as well. Oh, my goodness. Is, was that the one, that wasn't the one with the big storms? Yeah, that's, that's it, Howling How Goes. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And you yeah, almost got, drowned got, in that one. I got washed down the river. Oh, yeah. my God. Wow. Yeah, so, <laughs> I've had some adventures on that. You the have. Yeah. Who needs drugs, right? Like, oh, well, <laughs> I, mean, that's I mean, that's why now I'm addicted to, to running and getting out there in the hills instead. It's kind of gone from one addiction to another. And I think, you know, you speak to a lot of ultra runners. We've all had things like depression in our lives or, you know, we've all been to quite dark places. And ultra running, especially traveling, gives you the opportunities to completely escape and to be in kind of wild places surrounded by greenery and often that being on a journey gives us that sense of control that we can get away from that depression and that we can move away from where we once were um yeah it's it's quite kind of common cultural and i think you need to have a slightly addictive personality to be able to put all the training in hand yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, Rich is actually watching right now, the, the guy who asked the question originally, and he said, chuff me, I thought he fell down a mountain or something. Hell of a story. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was all done before, <laughs> before the, the, wow. the kim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh... That is that is one hell of a story. It's an amazing story, um, and it's a shame now that we have to literally fast forward to <laughs> 2016 because today we are going to be talking about um, your win on the KMath Ultra, um, and uh, yeah, and everything that goes with it. I've got loads of questions here from loads of patrons, um, and I'll try yeah. and take a few from the live chat as well. Um, but the patron ones get priority. Um, so yeah, can. Is, are you able to fast forward in a nutshell to why you decided to sign up to the Cape Wrath Ultra? Because it was your first multi-day ultra, wasn't it? It was a bit of a big one, yeah, so, <laughs> eight days. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so I've been on, I've been on um, mountain marathons. I've never done more than like two days. Uh, and yeah, there is a, this is a real tenuous link behind how I ended up doing Cape Wrath. So there was, there was two things. Um, I think you had done an article with Shane in Traveling Magazine that 
Shane was going to put this race on the Cape Wrath Ultra like the year before, hopefully, and you'll yeah. like, really course into it. Let's see if I can so find I, it. I remember seeing the, the article and uh, eight days, and I quite, you know, I've been doing ultra marathons for eight years at that point, so I started doing ultras um, in 2008 as well. Properly kind of went from being a road trail runner to an ultra runner and specialising in the ultras. I kind of was thinking, oh, eight years, eight days, hmm. A very tenuous link, but it, but it worked. Oh, it um, worked. <laughs> so so, that, that, so that, that, that was one. And then the other bit in the article, what, what kind of like really was illuminating. I think Shane or you've maybe put in it that one of the best places to train for the Cape Wrath Ultra was the Peak District. Um, yeah, because of the bogs and the bleak low and kinder and how tussocky it is. But it, it's kind of perfect for the pathless sections you experience in Cape Wrath. And I was kind of like thinking, I live in the peaks, you know, I can run up to kinder in, in an hour and a half. And, yeah, you know, I was thinking eight days, 250 miles, you know, this is going to just kill me. But then, um, funny enough, I actually just got it on the side of the desk here. That summer, um, me and Jim were in the lakes, and uh, I brought the guidebook uh, for the oh. route. Um, and I just sat and read the guidebook, and the more and more I looked at the route, the more and more I started to fall in love with it. And it I knew it was going to take me to places in the Highlands where I always wanted to go to, but never yet had the opportunity to visit them. Um, so it, it was just like, you know what, this is just going to, this is going to be probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I know that sounds quite corny in a race, because um, you can always go back to them again and again. But, you know, I just thought, you know, I'm not going to get these other opportunities. Montana going to support me doing it. It's like, you know what, let's, let's, let's go for it. And let's see, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I'm going to break me or kill me. Um, you know, I've done a mountain marathon with a broken jaw. It can't be as bad as that. So that that's why I ended up, and how I ended up signing up for the Cape Buffalo Ultra. Brilliant. I like your thinking. And um, and so, yeah, it looks amazing. And before this, before we did this interview, I, I shared uh, the BMC video of the 2016 Cape Wrath Ultra with everyone. And you can just see the beautiful mountains, the beautiful mm. scenery. Um, mm. uh, but, and you look so happy <laughs> every single day. You look really happy. But there must have been a significant amount of training that went on for such a, a big race. And we've got a question here from Nigel Barnett. Um, he says, he, uh, looking forward to this one, I have one question so far. Um, did Marcus concentrate on, on any one or more specific types of training in preparation? Um, like, did he do strength training in the gym or did he just do loads of hill training, etc., etc.? So, um, obviously, you're a coach. Um, we're not expecting you to just give a, a whole training plan for everyone just now. But, um, but yeah, could you just outline... Um, how your training went and then how, look, you're an elite athlete, how a normal person's training might differ from that? Yeah, so I'm, I, I'm quite fortunate because of, you know, I work part-time sports therapy, part-time coach. Um, and the work in the clinic at the time, I was working in the clinic in Sheffield, it was a little bit quieter, it was attached to the accelerate running stuff. And I deliberately cut back to my clinic hours to focus on the training because I knew I had to put a fair amount of training in for something like Cape Wrath. One of the other things I did a lot of, I did a lot of low-level um, heart rate training, so I cut a lot of my runs down to, well, most all of the kind of mid-zone two. So I was working on building a big, big endurance space, and within that, then I was doing a, a weekly hill session, kind of varying in length. But the other thing I was doing was trying to put a lot of volume in, so it was training twice a day, normally kind of four to five times a week, 
and then doing two reasonable long runs each week as well. So I don't do back-to-back -back long runs. This is an I controversial. <laughs> controversial, as you call it, yeah. <laughs> I think personally it's sensible, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, yeah. If I go over to your other Dragons Back YouTube video, you'll see me talking about why I don't do. But to me, it's about it's a bit getting that consistency in and not burning out. If you do back-to-back -back long runs you're just going to increase your fatigue so come monday you're probably burnt out tired you know energy systems depleted and then you're expecting the body to to run again so i was doing you know two runs monday tuesday um which roughly by that would have been up to about kind of four hours by that point and probably two hours on the wednesday uh, another kind of big day on the, the thursday and then Friday would be an easy day, so an active rest day. So sometimes I was training seven days a week. And then Sunday would be, Saturday so I would be a run in the morning and a big hill session in the afternoon. And then Sunday would be a big long run around about four, four and a half, depending on um, kind of what, where it fitted into the program. So every, every week it kind of went up a little bit. Um, I did max out, I think I maxed out at 110 miles, which was about 14 hours training. Um, so that was the main bulk of it. It was, you know, just big endurance stuff. You know, 40 minutes in the morning, an hour in the morning sort of thing, or difference in that. I didn't go to the gym because I don't have a gym near me. Um, and, well, the nearest gym is Chatsworth. Uh, kind of, well, it's not in Chatsworth House. That's not very popular, isn't it? Planning at the walls. The fitness club um, at Chatsworth, so it's not the cheapest. Um, I think there is one in Bakewell, but I've never been there. But I did do um, what I call kind of floor exercises so that's not like uh, you know belly dancing gymnastics stuff it is um body weight strength exercises ah. um so i've got a, a little video that's going to go off my youtube channel which ah. is just a very very simple body strength exercise routine which i use for a lot in clinic and for new clients i work with to develop hip strength and hamstring strength because a lot of times that's the areas we're kind of weakness got main weakness in so i worked yeah i did about 10 minutes a day strength conditioning work. Oh, really? As little as that? Just very as often? As yeah, yeah, because again, with strength work, um, it, it needs to one complement the running. It shouldn't be in any way causing any stiffness and soreness. So if you're kind of bashing out half an hour and the next day you're stiff and sore, you can't exercise or train, then that's going to interrupt that consistency of earning your training. And I found if I did 10 minutes a day, very simple, light, you know, to the point where you kind of go, yeah, that's that's very easy. Then I could continue doing that that daily, um, and that that kind of paid off for me. Um, and yeah, I I don't have the time to hit the gym. Um, I'd rather be out running, running on the trails. Mm. And I was, yeah, I was lucky that you know, some of my long runs went around bleak low and some of the real tussocky. I did one run called the um, Devil at Del Derwent Derwent Devil. Yeah, Derwent Devil. So we've got the Kinder Dozen, which people use to train for the Bob Graham, which is 12 times up and down Kinder, which is just, I think it's 10,000 foot of a cent or something. It's just bonkers. Wow, yeah. Um, and then Ian Winterbone created the Derwent Devil, which is similar, but around the Lady Bower Reservoir. Oh. And that was just absolutely bonkers because it was just full of tussocks. Just, it, I was out for like six hours or seven hours doing about 33 miles. Um, but yeah, that, that for me was one of the defining runs because when I did that, I was like, right, I'm in really good shape here. Yeah, this is coming coming together. 
one. But yeah, it was a good 10, well, I think I hadn't raced since uh, November. And so I trained from November all the way through to May and I didn't do any races. Oh. In between, I just focused on the training. I was, um, as soon as we kind of got into the January, January, February, March, April, I was just super focused. And I remember chatting to Pav at the start of the spine race and uh, Pav was saying that he was going to do Cape Rath. And I was like, oh no, that's just, not, you know, because Pav's super strong. But then it was one of those moments of going, well, hang on, you know, I, I can beat Pav. You know, nobody's unbeatable yeah. with the right training, the right approach. Um, and, and so that kind of motivated me to train even harder. Yes, yeah. Was going to be there. Yeah. It's interesting that you didn't do any races as training. Um, like, do you not like to do that then? Do you like to just, like, go all out for a race and make it a race? Because some people use races as training, don't they? Yeah. So to, to me, if you're putting a race into a training block, it has to benefit that race you're training for. Um, and I couldn't find any kind of race that would tie in with what I was going to be doing at Cape Wrath. Because most of the time, if you're doing like another ultra, so if I slotted in like a 40 or 50 mile ultra, and I've done that really hard, I would then need probably two weeks to recover before I'm back into full training. And for me, I just wanted to get as much training as I possibly could. I did do some big runs of around about kind of 40, 45 miles in the Peak District up around Kinder. Um, and I saw those as my kind of like training events. And so that, that's what I was thinking, right. You know, I did look at some races and thought, but then you've also got to sometimes pay like 60, 80 quid or whatever for a race. You've got to drive there. So yeah. you more than that. Um, and it, you know, it ends up becoming a huge expenditure as well as kind of just, and so yeah. And I always talk this to my coaching clients as well, athletes I work with when they come to me and say, I want to do this race, do this race, or I want to do this race and build up. I'm always like, you know, will it help? So if you're training for UTMB and you decide to go and do a really flat kind of trail race or thing, how's that going to benefit in preparation for UTMB? Now, sometimes psychologically we need to do a race um, so we can develop some of those mental skills uh, and work on our nutrition strategy um, and find out what works and what doesn't work for us in a race, but you can still do that. In, in training, mm. uh, well, the same with learning the mental skills. You can still develop the same mental skills you're going to need in a race at home. You know, doing some kind of mindfulness exercise, doing some visualization exercises, the same sort of things you experience in a race. So, yeah, and because of where Cape Wrath is in the calendar, you know, end of May, there wasn't really any races till kind of March, April. And yeah. I'd love to do the salesman. But you've only, like, I've only got four weeks to recover. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's not many races about to kind of drag, well, to, well, to drag me anyway. Um, and things like the Pedder's Way, you know, it's very flat and it's over near where my parents live, so I can't know it quite well. But yeah, no, I'm, I, I can, it can be quite focused, very focused when it comes to races. And um, I say quite a few times, I was very fortunate that when I first started ultramarathon running, I was coached by Karen hunter Rowe, who was World 100K champion twice. And wow. She still holds world record for 40 miles. And, and she was really kind of on me and drilled into me that I would do three races a year. Mm-hmm. You know, the World 100K, British, maybe another, and that was it. Mm-hmm. The rest of them were smaller races, and you just focus on those key races. And, I, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why, 12 years later, other than a niggly, niggly hip, I'm still running races and 
quite being, you know, not doing too bad at them. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it, about the whole injury side of things? Because, yeah, I don't know, in a 10 years' time, what are we going to see with all this, all the ultra runners going mad for all these different races, 100 milers, 300 milers, 1000 milers a year, whatever. Um, but also, the other thing that I, um, that is a little bit different is that you live near the peak, well, you live in the Peak District. Live in the Peak District. So yeah. for, for people living down south, perhaps they're booking all these races to give them the impetus to go somewhere because they have to go somewhere anyway and do it. So a nice way marked course is quite actually quite good, a good thing for them. But yeah, that's yeah. really interesting to focus all your energies just on the race, the A race. I mean, you can, you can get like, what I've you know, heard them called ultra tourists before. So people, yeah, like if you're not living, in, you know, I am really fortunate that my daily runs take me to clearly over the Peak District and I get great views. I'm aware of some people living in London or like Bristol or Swindon or some big city, their training is really limited to, to roads. So the opportunity to go into Wales and to run an ultra it gives them that kind of different opportunity to train somewhere differently and to maybe work on hill strength and work on the hills. And, and that, that, that's good, but then you've got to always be looking at to, you know, how hard am I going to do this race? Am I going to re-race it? Mm. Am I going to just use it as a training run um, and not push myself so that next week I can get straight back into training and my training is interrupted and you can get, because consistency is the key to success in the training. Yeah, can you trust yourself just to use it as a training event? Yeah, you know, and, and, you know again, that's a conversation I often have with client and you know, sometimes people can and sometimes people realise they can't. And, you know, if you're spending all this money on one event, so like doing the cake. Oh no, where's he gone? Oh, oh. oh you were gone oh, for a second, but you're back now. <laughs> you back were, in the room, back you, in the room. You're a bit fuzzy, but you are back. Um, you were just saying how you spend all this money on the Cape Wrath Ultra, and so you yeah, should, so you do you want to be doing loads of other races? Yeah, you, you know, because if you do other races, it, it could you could end up injured, or you, you know, there's other factors that could then mean you don't end up getting to the start line of the Cape Wrath Ultra. Exactly. Um, and you know, you can still be creative with your training being living in you know in a city or somewhere where there's not much hills around you yeah and um and we just got a question on the live chat actually about um chloe mason's just wondering if she, if you recced any sections of the cape Wrath trail no i didn't no was um, that deliberate or was it like um was it deliberate did you want a surprise when you got there or was it just <laughs> time and and travel and money and things yeah all the above <laughs> yeah well I suppose that's why you were doing the event wasn't it because you know it's a chance to see places that you wouldn't otherwise get to see yeah yeah I mean I looked at the room um to go and wreck it and because it's a linear route it's, it's mm. it, you know it's hard to kind of get circles you know get back to the car or something if you park the car you've then got to run somewhere and I have a two of you got to go up you know and you then drive one car and it's a long way around to somewhere where the campsites are when I looked at trains, again, you know, running up to one of the train sections and getting the train back to Inverness and then that. And then it was like March, April time, the weather's not good. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to put my money in training in the peak district. And stay on the peaks, going to train in the peak. I did do one run um, in Scotland when it's the Highland Fling when I 
did some work for Hocker there. I went for a run around Glen Lyon on the, the Sunday and got really nice big run to Glen Lyon. So that kind of felt like oh, I'm in the Highlands. Hopefully not that part. Um, so yeah, I, and as you know, I know a lot of people like to recce routes. Like Dragon's Back's a lot easier to recce because there's far more roads and infrastructure there. Um, but things like Cape Wrath, yeah, it's pretty tricky to to go up and recce. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, and that's the reason you're but, doing the race, isn't it? Because you yeah. can't do, go and wreck it. Um, and I spent a lot of time reading the guidebook, and I got the Harvey's route map, and I spent a lot of time just doing armchair navigation, looking at the maps uh, and the guidebook to kind of get my head around certain sections. And, and it, it is interesting that you trained on really tussocky parts of the Peak District because um, we have another question um, that Chloe's sent in here. Um, she's watched that film of you um, that the BFC made in 2016 and it, she said that you said that you have an advantage because you can keep your pace on the technical sections. Um, so she wants to know if you've got any tips to improve technical running because she um, struggles with like downhill rocky terrain um, but she's good on fells and bogs so that's good. Excellent. <laughs> if you can run over bogs and you've got it you've got it now. Sort of <laughs> it's one of those annoying things where a lot of it is, is just practice makes permanent. You, you, you've just got to get out on that terrain and if you know that's a weakness then, then work on it. it. It's very easy if you have a weakness in that running that we do the, it's like a lot of things in life, isn't it? We do the things we find easy because they come natural and that, you know, we just naturally gravitate towards that. Where if, if there's something we struggle with and we're not so good at it, then we need to work, spend time working it. So if descending is your weakness, then look at why it's your weakness. And, you know, last year I worked with Shane Benzie, you know, who'd worked with Damien Hall and Jim Mann and uh, quite a few other athletes in preparation for UTMB last year because, you know, I knew going out against a lot of European ultra is that my descending wasn't always as good as what it could be. I know I seem to be able to run down a lot of stuff, but it's, I wouldn't always say descending is my strong point. But I would deliberately go out and pick gnarly paths. So in the Peak District, I've now got paths which I can just kind of skip along and run at a comfortable pace. And then I've got paths which are really gnarly and will break up my stride um, and will mean I can't always flow along them. So that's one of the things I was doing and learning to have that kind of dynamic running style and then with the smallest amount of strength work I was doing every day that gave me the strength and the, the confidence so when I was running on the roster to just be able to keep that same pace and rhythm going and not have to kind of go oh I need to change direction here or there's an obstacle here you know you can just keep on that same rhythm and same pace so yeah it, you know if Chloe's already good at running over bogs and tussocks and keep working on that kind of terrain and then start working at descending and it doesn't mean you've got to go straight on to gnarly descents you know work on easier descents and work out you know why that you know are you looking at and sometimes there is an element where it's psychological as well i think sometimes we you know if inner child speaks to us and we're kind of like scared we're going to fall over so we, we then kind of put a break there because we just kind of hear that inner child where we just sometimes just need to relax with it and just let gravity take over and, and whoop and enjoy it a little bit yeah, that's really, really good advice. Um, uh, yeah, just practice makes perfect, doesn't it? Um, no, 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 it makes permanent. Permanent. Yeah, does, ah, yeah, yes, permanent. not necessarily perfect. perfect. Yes. No. Yeah. 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 Good point. Yeah, yeah, because then it requires skill training to make it perfect. So practice makes permanent. 
yeah. the more and more you practice it, the more permanent it becomes. Ah. And if you're not careful, I mean, if you if you practice it right, yeah, it will be perfect. Um, but like with a lot of kind of running technique, you know, our techniques can get a bit sloppy, a bit kind of fatigued in times, especially when we're doing marathons. So we then have to go back and go, right, let's start working on the skill. Let's make sure we're kind of running in a good position. We've got the muscle strength going in there. Oh, and I, I did a film with Shane Benzie that you mentioned with the, the technique thing there. So I'll link up to that in the in the description of this YouTube yeah. film below. And I'll also link up to um, your um, uh, your kind of logic behind not doing back-to-back -back runs on Dragon's Back film as well. And then when you've done your strength film on your channel, then I'll link to that too. So just check out the film description cool. below. Yeah. Um, or the podcast show notes if... Um, if uh, you want more information there. Um, and yes, you, another thing that practice makes permanent is navigation. We have a question on navigation um, from Guy Greaterx. He said, um, what's the navigation like on the route? Are there tricky parts of the Cape Bath Ultra to watch out for, or is it all quite straightforward? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so I could see on the route there would be some tricky parts. So for me, navigation, because I've just been immersed from at school of orienteering, um, navigation is one of my strong points. And um, I'm one of these annoying people who can see contours and it's kind of like the matrix. You know, I, I, I can look at contours and I can straight away visualize what the valleys and the hills can, can look like. With Cape Wrath, there are pathless sections. So there are some bits where there's, there's no path. You might pick up a very small trod but sometimes you're literally just on an open bit of, of hillside. Um, we were really fortunate the year I did it in that we were just bathed in glorious sunshine every day. There was maybe mist in the morning, but then the rest of the day was glorious sunshine, lots of sun cream, lots of kind of hydration. Um, so in some sense, you could kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, we're following that line around. It's that, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and using the other features. I, I never got my, my compass out. I also kind of cheated a little bit on Cape Wrath as well because it's the first time I used a GPX trace on my watch. So I, I had uh, a Santo Ambit Peak then, and it was the first time I used the, the kind of the line on the watch. And there's quite a few times I would just kind of go, oh, yeah, I'm on the line. Let's just stay with it um, on the pathless sections. The rest of the navigation, I found quite straightforward. It's very big tracks or paths, or you're going up a glen. Um, I think day day three, me and Tom did miss a turning at one point because we were just chatting too much. You know, I know like some people went down the wrong valley on day three early on, and um, I think it was Stuart McDonald took the wrong valley on day day four um, and ended up having to come down the road. And you can oh, see it on the no. live track as everyone was kind of like, no, where is he going? And I think someone did it this last, was it two years ago, um, watching the live track. So that's the danger of the live trackers. Um, people can see where you're heading up to. Yeah. One of the things with the trackers for Cape Wrath, um, they're really big. They are, they're, they're massive, like, aren't they? They're yeah, like yeah, yeah. this they're, big. Yeah, they're like a big GPS unit. They're really heavy as well. I was like, seriously, yeah. we've got to carry yeah. this as well. <laughs> but, but the good good thing with it is that um, they, they can text you so that they can send you a message because you're not allowed outside the 300 metre route base of uh, what's put on the map. So unlike the Dragon's Back, where unless you're on a mandatory route section, if you're on a suggested route, you can disappear off and find a shortcut if there are any, but there wasn't many really on the dragon's back. But you have to stay on that 
300 meter corridor. So if you disappear off it, they will text you on your tracker and you'll get, which kind of says, check your map. Um, so they're telling us. And then you can text back, but also at the bottom of it was a, a red panic button. And if you press that, that's the RAF coming for you as well. But because how remote you are, you you know, you can't rely on just a little kind of tracker to keep you safe. So yeah, if you did go off, they were, and like you were hearing tales in the evening at camp, people were saying, oh, I got texted and <laughs> <laughs> drifted off route here. Yeah. Um, but again, like on Dragon's Back, because it kind of gets quite drawn out, you tend to be following a line of people. Um, so it tends to be a bit of a group of people you can kind of follow and keep yeah. going. But yeah, I think we're, you know, modern GPS units. But yeah. I mean, it, you know, but mapping the compass is still such an important skill to have. For in case that you know cloud comes down, cloud comes down, you can't see your GPS watch stops working, um, and and you need to be able to take a bearing because if you're on one of those pathless sections and that mist came down and your watch wasn't working right, you could be floundering around there for quite a while. Mm. Um, but so we were so lucky with the weather; it was pretty much just like oh, we're going over there. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, that you're allowed to use the GPS watch because, like, like you, I've been brought up orienteering. Not that you'd know from my navigation skills, um, and you know, the whole idea of wearing a watch in a race is like, oh, oh my god, what are the FRA going to say about this? But it's actually, it was so. Let's, let's handy. not go there. We're not sure. We cannot. No, that's not. <laughs> no, that's not. We'll cut that bit. We'll cut that bit. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, there's there's the whole. Um, yeah, so I when I did the Cape Wrath Ultra, or well, tried to, as people will find out in Monday's film, um, I had a Garmin Fenex 5S, and it was the first time I'd ever followed a GPX route as well. And it was actually really, really good, because I, mm. I can sort of vaguely work out my way and like fight my way through the mountains with a map but I can't um I can't do it amazingly quickly and it just sped me up and that's the kind of race where you just you don't want to be going off in the wrong direction because you've got so far to go haven't you and yeah I mean and that's a good thing if you can navigate quickly and efficiently then you are going to keep moving forward I mean I the problem I have with my map I had it down the side of summer because I was taking notes on the day um was I had it folded up in the back of my pack um because it, I couldn't quite keep it on the front of my, my running pack. And uh, so I'd have to stop to get my map out. So that's one reason why I was just constantly using my, my tracker. And then when um, Shane actually said, if I won the race, it'd give me a new map. And then they cut the map up because you can cut it up so that it has like two days, like with the Dragon's Back map. Yeah. It cuts up brilliantly so you can have like two days yeah. on it. So you have one day. And then I was just running around with a small, again, being an orienteer, I hate running with big maps. I just like a small bit of map. Thumb the hand. map. Yeah, thumb the map. There you go. Thumb Speaking the map. Speaking like a pro, then. Oh, I'm yeah. <laughs> One year of orienteering. Uh, I'm a pro. <laughs> um, but uh, that's that's interesting about the map because um, I do want to talk to you about the kit as well. And um, mm. did you, because we talked about maybe you were going to hold up three essential bits of kit because um, you've got sponsors, have you? You're sponsored by Montaigne and Hoka. Um, I, I was then. Yeah, I'm not anymore. Oh, sorry. So who are you not sponsored by now? Who do we want to I'm, promote? I'm with Scott running now. Oh, fantastic. Shoes. Oh, okay. So not Montaigne. Uh, no, I'm still with Montaigne. Oh, still with Montaigne, but just Scott for just the shoes. Just shoes and I with, uh -huh. with Scott, yeah. Yeah, for my shoes. And, um, yeah, we've got several kind of sponsors. I don't think they're a pair of Injinji socks. Oh, they were, they were the best things ever. I'm, oh, I've got uh, some. I'll go and get them while you continue talking. Do you want to show the first bit of kit? That's your first bit of a central kit. Uh, what, for Cape Wrath? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
kit for Kate Brown. I mean, people know what gingy socks are like. We can talk okay. about toe socks. It's only, they're that, only there. They're literally there. <laughs> I just need to unheadphone myself. <laughs> you run out the room and we're going, oh, no, now I'm all on my own. I'm Caroline. What can we talk about? Where are you going, Let's, uh, we have free reign. Oh, no, she's back. Um, there we go. <laughs> In gingy socks. Article number one. Um, so th the thing with Kate Rat, um, so I had a few clients lined up for doing Kate Rat this year. Um, and I get quite a few inquiries coaching for Kate Rat. One of the key things to sort out with Kate Rat is your kit. Because with Kate Rat, you only have, you're allowed 20 kilograms um, for the whole eight days in one dry bag. And within that 20 kilograms, it has to be your food for every day as well. Because there's no drop bag. And that's your thing with Kate Raff, difference to Dragon's Back. There's no drop bag. When you start on that morning, you are self-sufficient until you get back to camp in the evening. So when you start working out what's going in that 20 kilograms, you've got to be thinking about, right, what clothes do I need to run in every day? What do I need to sleep in? And then thirdly, what food am I going to take for every day? But also, do I need any snacks? And that's why I went back to my mountain marathon days where I used to weigh all my kit. And the old Joe Faulkner thing, every gram counts. So with Kate Rath, I had spreadsheet and I'd weigh every single bit of kit. And was thinking, right, how light can I go without being uncomfortable? And I made a lot of compromises in preparation for Kate Rath. And it's like, right, I'll take three pairs of socks um, and I'll wash them out. I'll only take like, two pairs, just like one pair of shorts and take two pairs with me, you know, a pair of compression shorts as well. Um, you know, go really like and having just one set of clothes for the overnight camp. And I think I had two clean pairs of boxer shorts, so well, four days. And I thought, yeah, I know. But, That's you know, why you won. No one wanted to be near you. Nobody wanted to be near you. Well, we all stunk. You know, sharing a tent with Pav, I can, I can, you know, like Pav was not, he was not smelling of rose petals and uh, a rose garden whatsoever. Um, oh, lovely. But, but you know, we're all, you're all in the same boat together. Um, and we were fortunate in the year I did it, it was so warm that we could wash kit and get it dried. So there were times I was washing socks out and hanging them up. So that's from my luxury items was a, a washing line I took to kind of get kit dried um, during the race. But yeah, you, you know, it's a bit like, like people have done MDS, you know, where you're kind of weighing all your kit and making sure your kit is as light as possible because you've got to be cutting it. You know, when you go to the start of Cape Wrath um, on the race morning, they're weighing your back. And if it's over, they're making you take stuff out because it's got to be 20 kilograms because I've got so many bags to cart around they can't have you know, loads of bags in the uh, in the vans because it's going to make the vans too heavy so that's why you got the 20 kilogram limit but yeah you do I mean I end up just being right on the nose because I put um, apples and tubs of fruit in mine as well for the evening because didn't, you take, the first cake didn't you take broccoli as well didn't did you broccoli? take some broccoli no no I took kiwi okay. oh broccoli. kiwi I knew it was something green something yeah. green you took that I took, was really took kiwi cool. because having worked on dragon's back the first year um there wasn't a huge amount of fruit on it in 2012 um and I'm you know I love love my fruit I wasn't vegan then but I was predominantly vegetarian um and I'm quite kind of regimented in my recovery routine when I finish. So I, I'm a big fan of like apples and a recovery drink and a lot of vitamin C and pineapple. So I, I had these little tubs of Del Monte pineapple in Tupperware tubs. I had six apples wrapped in bubble wrap all in another tub. Um, and yeah, all those kind of added up and I was fortunate enough that when they weighed my back, 
Um, but it did, yeah, because the forecast was so good as well. So leading up to the, you know, the last night before we set off, I was watching the forecast, seeing it's going to be fairly dry. So I just took one pair of tights and one pair of three quarters and the rest shorts, um, you know, hoping that the weather wasn't going to turn nasty and be, be grim for us. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you're doing a multi-day race, you have to be prepared for a level of being uncomfortable at some point. Um, and yeah, you want to be warm in the evening, but you got to be thinking, right, you know, do I need a clean t-shirt every evening? No. You know, one thermal t-shirt and a fleece and a small lightweight kind of synthetic down jacket or down jacket is going to be just as good. And then think about, you know, your sleeping bag. You know, do you need a super big light, you know, heavy sleeping bag or can you go for a lighter one? You know, a bit like, you know, with the spine and the spine challenge where people are constantly trying to get a small sleeping bag. You know, because if you end up taking a big one kilogram sleeping bag, that means you're left with 19 kilograms for the rest of your stuff. Same with the food. So I worked out how long each day was roughly going to take me um, from previous races. And then was then, right, if I'm going to be out for six hours that day, I eat every 45 minutes, I'm going to need X amount of food. Um, and that's how then I worked out how much food I was going to take. I took extra with me, um, which I was quite thankful for because it was so hot. I ended up just living on cliff blocks um, rather than cliff bars because it was so warm. Uh, and that and mountain fuel and so you know but if you kind of just go in there winging it thinking oh, i just pack stuff in there but then you know it, it soon quickly weighs up to 90 you know 20 kilograms yeah and uh, you know for me nutrition is the biggest thing because if you don't have the right nutrition your body's not going to function then you're going to slow down very quickly mm. and after about four days you sort of your mouth can get a bit kind of ulcery with all that sugar i find yeah long yes yeah, so, yeah, so again that's drinking plenty of water you know not just having energy drinks so i wasn't going on to any drinks until later in the afternoon yeah and i only took one 500 ml bottle for cake raft as well unlike driving back where i had two bottles because you know that part of scotland there's so much water it was only day six when i wish i'd had a two bottles because there's less water out there and I think I may have drank some dodgy water but yeah you know it's, I mean I'm happy to drink out, drink out of streams and even I was drinking out of rivers and up and highlands because just so used to it um, but yeah you know and this is important to keep getting that balance and mixture in and also knowing that you can use that food day in day out um, but then there's an element where you just got to think this is just this is my fuel you know and yeah, get it down. Had, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing I had as well, I had an emergency pack, little packet of peanut M&Ms in the back of my rucksack. And uh, I said to Tom Evans, who kind of started off every day together and would run part of the day together, I said, look, Tom, if you ever see me going for the peanut M&Ms, <laughs> that, that's the time to put the boot in. If you really want to kick it, that's the time to do it, because that's when I'm suffering. <laughs> I always think it's important to have that, like, in case of an emergency, break glass, because that's the food that you would go, right, you know, I've maybe got 10 miles left of that day or something and I'm struggling, get some food in, that gets you to the finish line. Yeah, that's a really nice concept. I like that. Um, and so you've talked quite a lot about food in gear, which is really interesting that you've combined them um, because a lot of people see food as separate to gear. But of course, in a race like Kate Rath Ultra, when you've got that kit limit, the weight limit, it is really important to think of your your food also in your kit and um, but I just wondered like um did you take bigger shoes did you use poles stuff like that what was really essential to you in getting through this race so I I really risked it and just took one pair of shoes 
Mm. Uh, so at the time I was using Hock and Mafati Speed, so I think they'd just come out or you know, they landed and they were just brilliant, absolutely bomb proof I found. Um, and I, 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 big cardinal sin, I started off in a brand new pair. Oh so, my goodness, I, you really did I, get I, away I, with murder. Yeah, I started off with a pair I'd been training 100 miles in and I got massive blisters and my feet swelled up and I had to put them into size, my husband's size eight shoes and I'm a size five or six um, by the end of it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I know I'm quite lucky with my shoes, my feet getting you know, so often in new shoes and straight out the door of training. Because you know you're knocking out 100 mile a week, you're going through pairs of trainers so quickly. Um, so I thought, right, again, keeping the weight down, I'll take one pair for running, and I had like a pair of, um, I think they're called Telic, they're from a Scottish company, a bit like Crocs but more kind of recovery based yeah. uh, for a camp. Um, and uh, yeah, I, again, I think because of the training I'd put in, my and the work I'd done on the strength of my feet and running over the rough ground. Um, my shins were really used to that changing of terrain and the training I put in. Um, so I think that that helped massively for me. Yeah, my feet did swell up. Um, like most some mornings, one night I slept in my compression legs, uh, compressed more compressed legs, and normally I take them off kind of in the evening or you know, as I was going to sleep, but I left them on because I was quite cold and my feet were really swollen the next morning, which was just horrible. Um, but a couple of miles of running and had gone down quite quickly. And, yeah. The, the fluid and mood um but yeah i mean you know i mean it's quite in some ways it's quite stupid of me and quite naive to think right i'm doing eight days my feet will be okay but i kind of trusted in training i've been doing the shoes were slightly they were half a size bigger um because they tend to wear half a size bigger to train in and to run in yeah um, because i find when i'm doing full ultra training my feet just naturally kind of expand and swell yeah um and, and yeah, they, they, you know, they were, I did get the odd little chafe around the shoe with kind of swelling. I did start off in gaiters, but I had to take gaiters off. I did take poles. Uh, I had poles in my bag and they lived in the bag for eight days. Ah, oh, interesting. Because I remember yeah. on the Dragon's Back race when I came to visit you, you were like, I need some poles, like that, because you had a poorly knee at that point. So I, I wondered, because in the video, I didn't see you using poles at all. Um, yeah. And the bag didn't look big enough to have poles in. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so yeah, no, no poles. No no poles. They were in my, in my dry bag, in my camp bag. Oh, okay. Um, so I had taken them, um, in case I need them. But I asked, man, because the pace... Tom and myself were running that, that they would have just been in the way. Mm. Um, because we were kind of at times sometimes just clipping along at a really quick pace. And, and Cape Wrath is so much more runnable than Dragon's Back. Um, you know, it hasn't got the amount of ascent and the big climbs. I mean, if you are expecting to go slower and fatigue more, then poles are brilliant because they can just help you keep you upright, keep you in a good position, and can help you keep moving forwards. Um, and I'm not saying I wouldn't suggest somebody didn't use them. Kate Rath because they can be absolutely fantastic um, but for me because of the pace I was going and moving at they, they would have just got in, in the way so I was like yeah fine and had them in their case just any injuries could or problems for that yeah um, 
And um, I'm just aware that we've been chatting for um, nearly an hour now, so I'm just going to rattle through a few final we're questions. Be, we're going to so beat I'm Damien. Let's beat. <laughs> let's beat Damien. No, I'm fine to beat Damien if you want to beat Damien. Damien let's Hall. Let's go at eight o'clock. Yeah, Damien Hall um, came on the, the the show to talk about UTMB, and we were on for an hour and fifteen minutes, so uh, we could beat that if we want to. Um, but we've got a question here from Matt Walker, um, who says, "Oh, I'm hoping to do Cape Bath Ultra next year." Ah, don't do it, Matt. Don't do it. It's too hard. Well, do it. Do it, Matt. <laughs> um, and, uh, don't listen to that ginger. Listen to this ginger. Yeah. Listen to the beardy ginger. Rival gingers. Oh, <laughs> I've got a beard. <laughs> um, so as a, a multi-day event newbie, I would be really interested to know, um, oh, he's, we've talked about what he wants to know, which is preparing for back-to-back -back long days in the training. Yeah. Um, and then he wants to know about your admin at the end of each day. And you mentioned, didn't you, that you were really strict with your admin routine. Could you just like quickly yeah, take yeah. us through so, that? So, so, yeah, bagmen. Bagmen. As, uh, bagmen, <laughs> uh, as we like to call it on the multi-stage. Yeah, so my bag was packed. Every morning before I handed my bag um, to the fantastic crews that were looking after us, I, I, bagged, I packed it so it was ready so as soon as I finished. So I'd open it, and at the top of it was um, a drinks bottle and a recovery shake. So I'd sort onto that. There was a dry top and um, my apple ready to kind of tuck into. And so as soon as I finished, I was getting that recovery process going straight away. No kind of faffing about. I think there's one time you see me talking at the video, you know, when I finished day four. But as soon as I'd done that video, I got my bag. Then there would also be my wash kit at the top, um, so my sponge and a little bucket. And then I'd try and get a small bit of a wash, get myself cleaned up. Um, and then my, my spare clothes, my clean clothes for camp, right the next level down. Um, and so I'd just gently work my way through my pack, getting clean kit on. And then once my clean kit up, kit's on, go and get food or get in my kind of sleeping bag out get that kind of airing up um get my roll mat out um yeah so um again coming from that kind of mountain marathon background and same with when you're packing your kit for an ultra marathon you need stuff at the top that you're going to get to straight away it's pointless having your spare top at the top you know the top of your bag or your waterproof trousers and your waterproof jackets at the bottom um, so i deliberately packed my, my dry bag so as soon as i opened up at the top of it was what I was going to need straight away and just cut that faff factor out. There's no faff in straight away. I could get my recovery drinking, mountain fuel recovery, get that on the go, get some food in um, and then dry kit on and get cleaned up because, yeah, that, that, that bag me and, you know, some people write it on a card and put it in the top so that you kind of got that instruction. So, you know, because you can finish sometimes really kind of out of it slightly, you know, you put a lot of effort in, your focus can't be so great. Um, and easily distracted and it is quite easy on things like multi-day races to come in and there's other people having food or you start chatting to them and then for you know, 20 minutes have passed and you get cold and starting to shiver a little bit or you know you're just not looking after yourself so you've got to be quite selfish um, and think about number one and then once you've got yourself sorted out then you can start chatting to other people and find out other people's days in the world. but I mean we were lucky we came back as well because the weather was so warm that you were finishing and taking the top off and kind of walking around just a short for a while and drying out. Um, you know, I mean, if it was wet, oh, I just dread to think what the race would have uh, been like. It would have just been a complete different experience. Because it could be, quite conceivably, eight days of full-on rain, couldn't it? At right. that time of year. Yeah. 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 It's, it's Scotland, you know. I mean, and the other thing we were really lucky with, the midges were minimal as well. 
Uh, so about eight o'clock, as soon as the sun started going down, it got a bit cooler in camp, and the midges were like coming up, and we were just like in the tent, basically mm-hmm. great. Um, but yeah, there was only day seven when I would go past a small lock-in, and which was like a swarm of midges. I remember running past, but most of the time it was fairly midge-free. Uh, but, but yeah, having that you know, again as you're planning out your your kit and your food, you know, that's the time to be thinking about right, what is my strategy what is my bag meant for when i finish you know because if you're sleeping bags right at the top of the bag and your spare clothes at the bottom you've got to faff get time get down to spare clothes pack it so that it's all ready to go good advice there good advice and um we have a, a final question here about blisters um which i presume if it were damp um uh so arlene matelock says um looking at the constant damp, wet terrain. How do you keep your feet dry? I know it wasn't damp when you did it, but it could be constantly damp, couldn't it? How do you keep your feet dry if it's even possible? And how do you prevent or treat blisters? Well, see, I I used to always go around saying I never have blisters in races because of ginger socks. I and hate I never you. Didn't. And, until well, until UTMB last year, and I worked on my descending, and I absolutely came the first descent. And I went down it so hard and fast that I ended up skinning the heel of my the heel on my heel. Oh. And um, but actually, I was in good company because I spoke to Ian Keith a couple of days later, and he said he did the first thing, uh, did the similar thing the first time he did UTMB. So I was like, good company. Um, so with Cape Rack, yeah, I didn't get any blisters. I got the odd little chafe where the shoes rubbed, um, but I think it's really good to work on your foot care management. Again, this is all part of that building up process. It's, you know, you're spending time on the feet. So if you haven't got time to run or, you know, you're not going to do some walking, you know, spend some time walking and especially in the shoes you're going to wear, get your feet used to that abrasion rather than just sitting at a desk. Um, get them looked after properly, um, you know, a chiropodist or something so there's dry skins removed. And then find a really, really good kind of lotion to use the feet. So I uh, use either squirrel nut butter or gurney goo which is from New Zealand, I would slather my feet in gurney goo um, before the start of each day and put the socks on. And then if I felt any hot spots, which are very rarely in my feet, but any other part of my body, I've got a small tube of gurney goo, whack that on somewhere else. With Cape, yeah, you do get wet feet on Cape Rack because you're going through so many rivers and you just kind of just... Yeah, and again, it's getting out there training in on trails which are more mountainous, more rugged, so you get used to wet feet and them being wet. And you know, that will help the skin to kind of get used to it. And finding the right socks, uh, one of the reasons why I love in gingy socks is they sit around your feet, you know, go around your toes, and then they tend to sit and don't move. Where a lot of standard socks, you get a little bit of friction, a bit of movement. And it's that friction what creates the heat that then creates the blister. So find a sock that kind of fits your foot really, really well. But also the shoes fit your feet. Really, really well. And if you're expecting to expand and take a bigger pair or uh, have things up your sleeve, um, but also learn a little bit about blister care as well. You know, Fix Your Feet's a really good book. Um, you've got to carry quite a good blister kit on Cape Wrath and Dragon's back. So learn how to use that as well and learn how to take things out with kind of rock tape you know, if you do start getting hot spots. You know, if you do start getting hot spots, deal with it in the race. You know, stopping for a minute to two minutes to put some you know, gurney goo, squirrel nut butter. Yeah, I wouldn't, you know, if the old adage, you tend to get what you pay for. Um, and I think things like body glide is good to a degree, but I've tend to find if I spend more money on a, a good kind of um, anti chafe lotion, 
and I tend to get a better product with Twitch. But so I've used like Brave Soldier Friction Zone in the past, with, like twenty for the tube. But um, you know, it, you know, it worked. I think that's what I used on Cape Wrath. Um, Friction Zone by Brave Soldier. Okay, um, I'll put a link to that in the description below as well, just because that sounds you know, really helpful. Gurney, Gurney Gurney is the one I've been using since I've done Costa Rica, and yeah. again, that's like. I think that retails at about sixteen pounds a tube, but yeah. it, it it works. And you know, buying a little tub of Vaseline from Boots for three quid mm. it isn't going to cut the mustard on an eight-day ultra marathon, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll put links to those in the description below. That's really how really really handy because I suffered really badly with blisters on Cape Wrath Ultra, which everyone will find out on Monday when I release my film of this this chat is called how to do the Cape Wrath Ultra the the film on Monday is called how not to do the Cape Wrath Ultra <laughs> um, yeah, I mean you, you, you know you see so many people with the blisters on these multi-stage races uh, and it's part of it's just like bad luck like you know for me at UTMB it was just pure bad luck and part of it was just because I've been working on the technique I've changed it slightly and I just hit with the same too hard and push my my, my foot in a position that didn't really need to go in what caused the, fr the friction and I think sometimes just looking at how you're moving but then you know, getting time on the feet helps develop that toughness in the feet as well yeah mine just swelled up and then they were too big for the shoe and it was actually the little toe and that toe that were they were just rubbing against each other yeah. and everyone says to me wearing gingies because of course they protect each toe don't they like they're mm. like they're mm -hmm. gloves aren't they for the toe yeah but yeah. that would make i i tried that but it made my foot even bigger and then it was even more cramped in the shoe so i i'd need i needed to change the shoes i needed to just have yeah. bigger shoes but anyway but but that's where if you you know when you're lubing the feet up as I call it in the morning, that uh, you know you put a generous cut. You're not kind of just putting like a, a pea-sized dollop on your feet. You know I will literally just slather my feet in in gurney goo in between the toes as well. So when you put your socks on, it feels like, <laughs> um, but you know within a few minutes you're not noticing that because it's probably kind of wet as well. So yeah, and a lot of these kind of top ends. Is that, um, friction lotions tend to have kind of hydropellant in them as well, so you tend oh. to see the water sits on the outside. Oh, interesting. It seems quite nice. It doesn't kind of sit so thin. An amazing one in America. If there's any people in America watching this, and you can get any hydropellant, which we one of the most bestest foot lotions I ever came across, but I've never seen it since. Yeah. Hydropellant. Okay, there are some American people watching this. Um, they want to know if you're going to come to do any races in America. Arlene Matelock has put that on the live chat. She wants to know if you're coming over to America. Love to, love to. I keep trying to get into Western states. <laughs> yeah. But it's so hard. And that, and I quite fancy Leadville um, as well, but I don't know what, how I get on with the altitude. But mm. yeah, there's so many. I'd love to go and race in America. Really, really would. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely beautiful. I hear ginger people are good at altitude anyway. Excellent, cool. In the jeans. Um, but <laughs> a couple more questions, if you've got time. Um, yeah, I've got all evening. I'm not going to watch some TV. Yeah. I don't have a TV. So. <laughs> um, we've talked a lot about um, the training and uh, like the terrain and all the tips and the kit and the admin and the eating and the everything. Um, but you, we started the talk talking about how much you really wanted an adventure and you just thought it would be a brilliant way to see Scotland. What was your favourite day, um, like the scenery and everything? Is is it even possible to say? And and that's from Jeanette Hall on the live chat. Hi Jeanette, that is one of yeah, that's an incredibly hard question. Uh, 
yeah, day four. Day four, so that's the, the shortest day. So it's like a recovery day. I think it's 22 miles. Um, but it goes through Tardin and goes around the back of Ben A. So it goes in between Lefak and Ben A. I'd always wanted to go to that area. I remember buying that the map when I was a kind of teenager uh, of Tardin. And you know, me and my best mate used to talk about having this adventure up there. And so that's one of the most days I was excited about was going through that area and you, you climb up around the back of Ben A and go up to the, um, a tiny lock and just up um, on this hanging valley. And yeah, I mean, I've got some photos. I carried my iPhone with me and, and took so many photos of the, of the journey. I'm just um, looking at sure them now. Could have I... broken 40 hours probably if I had not taken so many photos. <laughs> um, yes, if but, someone breaks uh, yeah. your record, you'll be annoyed now. <laughs> Yeah, because I start making too many photos. But Ian Cordes was up there as well. Ian Cordes took some amazing photos. And I think on the film as well, it's just where Tom comes across this stream um, and the <laughs> very flattering shot of his bottom going to rocks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was just spectacular. It was kind of what I'd always hoped to see being up in that area. Um, and then you then have four miles of path that's running. So you do a steep descent down off from uh, this column where the block on is, and it's quite a steep, tussocky, you know, and, and looking at the ground, this is where Stuart went wrong, you can see, oh, I'm just going to go straight over there, down yeah. to the valley, but actually you kind of swing back on yourself. Um, and as you swung, as we looked, we just long, it's a long, stretched out, boggy valley, and you drop down into the bottom of the valley, and then you have four miles of pathless run. Um, but, yeah, you just got Ben A kind of to your side, and then, uh, yeah, it's just... It's Amazing. stunning, that, isn't that it? Yeah, I mean, had it not been blue skies, uh, I don't know what it'd been like, but yeah, that, that's where we want to start. And then there was also day three, day four, we came up. <gasps> that was up amazing. One, um, it was after the checkpoint, you know, long roads, track section, and then you come to this car before you drop down to a bothy. Uh, yes, um, the bothy. Which is on Damien and Beth's film. Yeah. And the vista is just, you could, all you could just see was mountains and valleys and that was it there was no houses other than the boffy down in the bottom of the valley but there was no habitation it, it was just to me that's just pure wilderness and it was just like this is where i've come here it, it really is you know if tom hadn't legged it away from me before then going up to that point i would have stood there a bit longer just going this is amazing i think i took a photo at that point again uh, um but yeah yes yeah, so that, that, that those were two but then like sandwood bay there as well Going around the Sandwood Bay. <gasps> Sandwood Bay, yeah, I'll just try and find a photo of that. I've just put up a few photos of the, like, round the side of Leothak and, and Benet and, and that. Benet, just yeah. put them up. That was, I'm so glad that you've said day three, day four, and day eight were your favourite days because I missed out day five, day six, and day seven. So you haven't mentioned any of those. So it's fine <laughs> with the day <laughs> two. So I don't have to go back and do it again. Day, day, day five is, uh, I mean, you, you go into the Fisher Fields, which is that's absolutely amazing area and um, on, on day five you get a really good view of um, Anne Shalek, um <gasps> which is the kind of big rocky kind of buttress in front mountain um, and that, that you know really really impressive you've you got to turn around to see that you kind of kind of stop and look behind you and go oh there's Anne Shalek. Um and then yeah I mean day if I had to say the most kind of uh, day because you know, I don't want to because I just love the whole race um, but Day, day six is the big grind that day, which is the second longest day because it's a lot of forest road running. 
Mm. Um, and it's only until the end when you get to Glen Afric, um and you climb up the coal by the side of um, Glen Afric. Glen Afric? Yeah, you get Glen Afric. I can't remember the name of the hill to the side. Um, but I was so glad we went going up there. We were just going to go, oh, this is Dragon's back. I'll be going up there. But I'm just down this valley and up the coal and back down to camp. Um, but that day was a bit kind of like, yeah, just a lot of grinding out, running on forest tracks, just kind of like, just keep turning it over, just keep turning it over. Um, I mean, you're still spectacular scenery. You know, you're still not kind of growing your eyes. It's a bit mundane and running in the forest. Yeah. You're still like, I'm in the highlands. Yeah, it's, um, it's just that it's day, day seven, by then. <laughs> yeah, day seven is just a day which you think is going to be quite innocuous. It's going to be, yeah, it's like 33 miles. Yeah, you look at the map and go, yeah, it's quite straightforward, actually. But it's just an absolute beast of a day, really. They're so long, um, aren't they? Each day is just twice as far as you'd want to do in a day with twice the ascent that you'd want to do in a day it really is I know it looks you watch the films and you think that looks incredible and when everyone's being filmed they're all like smiling and laughing usually and running actually running but you know if you're a mid-pack person there's a lot of hiking to be done isn't there and there's a lot of long days and there's yeah, a lot of coming home in the dark <laughs> well I, mean, I don't know if there's many people finishing in the dark I know on day three I did finish the film, but some I finished a quarter to eleven on day three, <laughs> 15 minutes before but, the cutoff. <laughs> it does seem to train as well, train to walk and walk at a brisk pace. You know, because we often think for, you know, ultra marathons and special marathon days, we've just got to train to run. Uh, one of the best bits of advice I remember hearing years ago when someone was doing a talk about MDS and they finished like fifth Brit or something like that. In the peak district, they were just going out for eight hours walks with audio books mm. and we're walking their pack for eight hours. And he said that really helped him on ODS because of so much time just to walk. But he had that confidence, right, I'm just going to walk. It's when you don't have that confidence and you're, you're panicking, oh, I'm walking, I should be walking. And you end up tensing up and losing more energy. But if you just go, oh, I'm just going to walk a bit. It's just, but power walk rather than just ambling along. Um, you know, there has to be a purpose behind that walk. But I think it's important to, you know, to, to get that kind of in your head that sometimes you just got to train to walk. Yeah, definitely. And Jasmine Paris says that as well, doesn't she? She goes for a 12-day, 14-day hike with Conrad, huge pack on, camping, 12 days in the mountains at altitude, and comes back, smashes Bob going around, etc. and everything. Yeah, 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 but it's so much benefit. So, you know, it's just that moving that's the important bit, and developing the muscle strength. You, know, you might not be working so much on the cardiovascular system, but on things like Cape Wrath for eight days, then, you know, it, it's the muscles that have taken a huge amount of pounding. Um, you know, good cardiovascular system will stand you in good stead, but you need that muscle strength value as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, not to be underestimated um, any of these events. Um, which brings me to our final question, and I think we might just pip Damien because we're on one hour twelve. So if you can answer this next question for five minutes, then you'll be doing well. Um, is, is anybody still watching this, or are you kind of going to sleep now? <laughs> no, kind of no, there's loads. Do you want me to read out some some good comments? Um, is he on now? Are they watching me stand this? No, they're all talking about Gurney Goo. So Guy Greytrek says, "Oh, Gurney Goo, four pounds a tube, perfect." Um, yeah, that, that'd be the small one. Yeah, yeah watch really out. Small. That'll be like the, the tiny. I won't really yeah, I'll be like a sample. Yeah, which, which is good in your pack. I use them in my pack. Yeah. Um, so I you have those in races when I'm out training. I have a kind of small one. You can get like a pack of three from uh, my race kit. Yeah. 
and um, yeah, and then you can take one with you. Um, uh, Antonio Cardinelli says um, he likes the sound of ginger socks. I think he means that in gingy socks. <laughs> ginger socks are cool. We can start our own line of ginger we socks. We could. They're only orange. Only available in orange. Yeah. Um, yeah. Guy Greatrex says yes, it was from my race kit. Um, Jeanette Hall um, says Ben A's triple buttress is her favourite view. Um, yeah, uh, Chrissy TV says you're well funny Claire I don't know what that was that was quite a while ago I'm not sure what I said <laughs> yeah. um, Chloe says yeah worth spending to look after the feet um, uh, yeah and lots of people it's like there's so, so many comments I need to write out some lots of people said thank you for answering their question as well um the, out, the outdoor station that'll be bob cartwright he said heroic stuff um to you uh and uh guy Greatrex said it's a great film what the, the film that you're in um no back-to-back -back runs i like that so yes yep. same hymn sheet for me yeah <laughs> you know. yeah i've been doing for dragon's back the cake graph not the twice one of these um coastal challenge in costa rica Perfect. You know, volume of training and consistency of training is so more important than just spiking your training. Yeah. Um, the more consistent you get, the more overload you can get going on in the body, the more it adapts, the more it strengthens. If you just spike it, it's going to break down a lot quicker and you're just not going to get that adaption taking place. Yeah, not not recovering. Um, mm. uh, Nigel Barnett says thanks for that answer, all points noted. Um, right, welcome, Nigel. And Chloe is from Barlick Fell Runners, and she says she's done the tour of Pendle. It's a bog fest. Cheers for answering my question. <laughs> oh, if you, yeah, if you Pendle, just be going up and down. You've got so much good descents to go and practice, like long tour Pendle. That just goes up and down Pendle, so many different ways. Just do that as a training run, because that's one of the things we often get caught up with when we think about training these events. Is that we've got to do like a linear route, or you know, I want to go and do twenty miles that day. Where you know, I coach all by duration rather than distance unless we're looking at right we want to work on a certain distance again to help that psychological so that's one of the reasons why I did like a 44 mile run I think in playing hands back okay rest so I knew I could do the distance but a lot of times it's on duration um so rather than thinking right I must go and run 20 miles this weekend up and down some hills just go right I'm gonna go and spend five hours doing as much ascent up and down hills as I possibly can get in, and I can trust you. If you do that, you're going to be absolute goose the next day. You know, because quite might screen with you. But then that's going to have a far more benefit than just getting easy 20 miles on the trail. Yeah. You know, do the training. You know, do specific training. Get that specificity in there for what you're working towards. And you know, I have had clients living kind of in London, outside of London, training for like Kate Rapp and Dragons Back, and even Damien was telling me when I first worked with him for training the Dragons Back. You know, I, and he's, he lives in Box, which isn't the most hilliest place around by Bath, and I created different kind of hill sessions. Um, you know, some are more, you know, making them more stamina endurance based as well. Because hill sessions don't have to be always done flat out. So it's one of the things I was doing with Kate Graff, I was doing hill sessions and trying to get them in zone two. So they were more aerobic than anaerobic. So I wasn't going up super fast and hard. It was more like, right, let's just almost kind of grind it out. Yeah, um, and sustained. not be burnt out on it again, so then get back and recover. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, and it's that changing that mindset. I think in right, I think it's got to be kind of fashion training. I've got to be giving it. You know, if I'm not working hard, then it's not going to be a benefit. Where actually, it's the opposite way around. If you work easy, 
uh, then you get far more physiological benefits from it as well. Mm. That's good to know. I don't like doing faster, so that's really nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> it hurts. Yeah, it, it hurts in a different way to the so stuff. Um, um, there's a couple more people on the live chat here. So Kurt Steed yeah. says, I think I need to get do the Cape Wrath Ultra just to get that shirt. So he likes your T-shirt there. <laughs> It is a cool t-shirt. It is a, it is one of that. And yeah. It's really it's cool. Yeah, I mean, they're very rarely aware of it because it is such a... Has it got the root on the back? Got, Mine's got the root on uh, the back, I think. No, it's just got the... Oh. the and it's got the same on the back. Oh, I think, I'm sure my one had a root on the back, like, of the whole root. Or maybe that's a different race. Anyway, <laughs> that, was, that was two years later. Um, you sure envy going on. Yeah. <laughs> Rich Simpson says, I've been wanting to do this race for a while, but solo in midwinter. The route isn't mm. signposted though, so it's difficult to navigate. Get your GPX out, Rich. I mean, I think entries open tomorrow, don't they? The first. Yeah. So there's a handful of entries, what? Go open yeah, tomorrow. There's like a dozen or so entries and a reserve list or some of some kind so that yeah. people can because um, people will drop out from injury or whatnot. Um, yeah, etc. So get yourself sat on your computer. Like everywhere is for late in fifteen. Oh, I used to for late in fifteen hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need a bot to do it for you, don't you? An algorithm. Yeah. Um, sure you that one. And um, Alex Dehoto is trying to get a sneaky last question in before we cover the how you compare it to other races question. Okay. Um, yeah, we've got ten minutes. We're going to go for. Oh, we're going to go for. Yeah, good, we've already Damien. beaten Damien. We've beaten Damien. We're safe now. We're safe. Um, okay, sit back and enjoy it now. We'll just, everyone, just get your drink. We'll just sit and have a banter and we'll just talk about anything that's happening. So Alex Dehoto, a lovely, lovely patron, says, um, Marcus, is there anyone yes. you have a bit of a friendly rival with? Do you keep an eye on anyone in the pack in particular? In, in races or just generally overall? Um, I suppose, yeah, from race to race, but yeah, if there is somebody overall that you're like, oh, like I need to Kate Nath. Sounds like um, you and, and Tom, what, what was Tom's last name? Tom, Tom Adams. Tom Adams, okay. Um, so he was number one actually, because it was done alphabetically in order, so he was number one. <laughs> um, I, yeah, again, I'm a bit of a, a geek and a slight confession here. I will sit and look at the start list and then go off and chase people and kind of see who they are and what they've done and what race results. So I knew Pav was in there, so Pav was a little bit of a worry. Um, I think I briefly checked up on Tom. There was a Scottish guy who had a 2.36 marathon time there. Oh, and sorry, um, Pav is Pavel Polonsi, isn't he? Pavel um, Polonsi, yeah, yeah. Pavel. spine race winner, an all-round um, adventure racing absolute machine of a guy. Yeah. He, 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 well, he's nicknamed the bear. Yeah. He's huge, isn't he? Very hairy yeah. and smelly. I'm, I'm like tiny next to him and we shared the tent together. It's quite entertaining, actually. Really funny. Um, got one of my best ever race stories about how long have we got? Nine minutes. Um, have on day three. So on Cape Buffalo, there's no drop packs, but you can visit shops. And then it's not like you're going through huge towns or places like that, but there's one or two shops you can visit. Uh, anyway, day three, camp in the evening. We sat there having a little meal, and Cav, Pat comes in with a can of tenants and puts it on the table, and we're like, Pat, where, where did you get that tenants from? And we're like, oh, I, I brought it at uh, Shield Bridge. And we're like, what? You brought a can? He went, no, 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 I brought two. And I drank one and then carried on. Oh, wow. It's like a third into day three, because it's like, the second longest day, like 42 miles or something. 
he drank a can of ten and then cracked on. I'm just like, oh, I've drunk that than that. Brilliant. Um, How did he actually get on in that race? Like, where did he come? I can't he remember. He was third. He was third. Yeah, and and who was second then? Was that Tom? Tom was Tom was second. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, it, it, day one was kind of like finding who who's who and you're kind of watching who's doing what and day one I took really easy to me it was kind of like a prologue just took it really easy kept my heart rate nice and low wore my heart rate monitor walked the first climb um, and Tom and Pete ran up it and then ran down the other side I caught them up on the descent so I was like okay they can't quite run as fast in the descent and then, then me and Tom put each other back up and we kind of raced into the finish and then I said well let's dip together and I managed to dip like a second before <laughs> not deliberately it wasn't really like Let's do together. One, two, three. Yeah. Uh, we've done it. <laughs> um, so I always won every day, <laughs> and it wasn't done deliberately. Um, but then, yeah. So day two, we started off together, and it was trying to find the weaknesses, Tom's weakness. But with it being eight days, you just you just never know, you know, what, what's going to happen, who's going to, and it is kind of it becomes a bit chessy, who's going to break first. But you know, and me and Tom chatted quite a bit on day three and. Lots and I know a little bit more about each other, and I kind of realised that the training I've been doing was very different to Tom. Tom's mm-hmm. out in Oman, I think, or somewhere like that, with his work. Um, so his training has been very different to mine. He'd been doing a lot of quality mileage, but it was in dunes and on road. So that had why he says in the video, you know, once it got rough, mm-hmm. I, I was able to go off. So if it'd been a different field, who knows? You know, Jim might have been in there, or um, you know, going in. Just yeah, it was just that field that year. Um, and yeah, so once I kind of knew I had the upper hand, I would just bide my time in the morning for a bit and then go right now and keep in the stride and then um, race it that way. But yeah, I, I do spend a little bit of time reading up on the field and seeing who, who I'm going to compete against. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's part out. of the fun, but, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You're trying to work out, yeah, a bit like in the football, you know, football isn't it? You know, how the other team play. You're trying to work out, right, how do they race? Do they go out hard? Do they blow up? Or what's their strategy for them? Um, and it, see if you can outmatch him. Very interesting. Thanks for that question, Alex. Managed to get that in there. Um, And there's one final question that I think... If anybody's still with us. Yes, yeah, no, we've got like 40 people watching right now, which is really good. Um, But the final question um, that a lot of people, I know that you've been asked this quite a lot, um, but I just want you to tell us a little bit about how this race compares mainly to Dragon's Back Race, which you have covered along the way. Um, But also you've done the Coastal Challenge, which you've mentioned, and the UTMB, you're about to do MDS. So how do you how do you think it might compare to MDS from what, who you've talked to about it? Because um, that's interesting as well, I think, because I think some people think MDS might be a bit easier than Cape Wrath Ultra. Um, yeah, and is Dragon's Back easier than Cape Wrath Ultra? What, what have you heard on the street, Beth? It sounds like you're alluding to I've heard on the street. <laughs> I've heard on the street that, um, oh, I'm just trying to find, um, oh, yes, here we go. So, yeah, Guy Greatrex wanted me to ask you about the comparisons as well. So I've just put his question up along the bottom there. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so um, yes, I have heard, I have heard yeah. that MDS is um, easy in comparison to Cape Wrath Ultra from some people who have done both. Um, and I've heard from my friend Julie, who I was running with, run, running, walking with on the Cape Wrath Ultra. She said the Dragon's Back was harder than Cape Wrath Ultra because it was just relentless. So many hills, the cutoffs, you, you literally don't have any time if you're, you know, my level to faff around with anything. You've just got to get on and do it. So, yeah, for, in your opinion, um, how do they all differ? Mm. 
Well, I mean, when I did Cape Wrath, there were people who had done MDS, mm. and they were saying like, how hard a Cape Wrath was compared to MDS, which is partly why I'm really looking forward to doing MDS. <laughs> you done, might win. Yeah, you know, well, I don't know about that because there's some fast guys. Moroccan team are very good in that kind of terrain. Yeah, um, I hope they do quite well. Local guys that don't burn. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll try and get some um, heat acclimation training beforehand. But yeah, I mean, some people were saying that at Cape Wrath and Dragon's Back and how harder they are. So I went from Cape Wrath to Dragon's Back, and one of the reasons I went to Dragon's Back was because when I come back from Cape Wrath, it's like, right, we'll do another multi stage. I loved it. I looked at every single multi stage, or a lot of multi stages, and they all had really short days. And I'm like, oh, come on, I, I did, you know, 40 miles some days in the Dragon on Cape Wrath. I want to really do it. And I was like, oh, I'll be Dragon's Back. I remember actually resigning the fact that <laughs> I always thought Dragon's Back was way beyond me because I worked on it to work. I saw what it did to Steve Birkinshaw. Um, and Steve Birkinshaw's like one of my heroes, you know. I remember doing mountain marathons against Steve and knowing his pedigree and his background. And to see it destroy Steve was just like, boy, this event would just. It's just, you know, it is on a different kind of scale, but um, really right training and approach. It, like a lot of events, you know, when I first heard about 100 mile races, you think, my oh, goodness, that's just well out there, it's well beyond my capability. But with a right training and right approach, then most things are, you know, you can complete them. Um, and then it depends how you can define success. But I think just getting to the finish line, most people can if they apply themselves properly. So how does Cape Wrath compare to Dragon's Back? So yeah, it's a question I get asked quite a bit. So some of the things they have in common, they have the same amazing organising team, Rio events. I mean, Shane is one of the best race organisers I've worked with. Uh, he's so calm, collective, um, works so well under stress, and he's built a brilliant team around him. And yeah, everybody who works in those events are there because they want to be there. They always have a smile on your face. They make you feel so special. You know, it's just a wonderful atmosphere around camp and then the catering team as well. You know, I mean, I think it's hard, having worked on Dragon's Back, it's harder working than it is running the Dragon's Back. Um, you know, I got like, is it 20 hours sleep or something like that? 25 hours sleep over five days when I worked on Dragon's Back because, I mean, we had people finishing at one o'clock in the morning in 2012. Um, so working on it is really hard. So I had, you know, appreciation for what guys and especially like Kate Rath because they're for eight days it's not like you can just swing off somewhere. Running how do they compare and how do they differ? So with Dragon's Back, yeah Dragon's Back every day is an ultra marathon with a lot of ascent in um, and so you have to be prepared and trained for that amount of ascent. But you get to day four on Dragon's Back and you, you have one day left. On Kate Rath you get to day four you still have another four days to go to endure. <laughs> so if you're having a rough time by the time you get to day four, you're going, I've got another four days still to enjoy it. Um, so psychologically, driving back and that's you're going right day four. Well, here, here we go. But the accumulative fatigue, I would say, is greater on Cape Wrath um, because of the eight days and you're burning far more calories. You know, that's an extra 70 miles longer than the Dragon's Back. But then it's more runnable than Dragon's Back. So Dragon's Back is a lot harder on the foot, more mountainous, a lot more ascent. Um, so in that sense, if you're prepared to just have that journey um, and to, to run when it's easy, walk when it's hard, then I think Cape Wrath kind of, you know, is, is slightly easier than, than, than Dragon's Back. Um, but, um, you know, 
one's really remote, one doesn't feel so remote. The Dragon's Backfield doesn't feel as remote um, because you're going through like little towns and villages. Um, really Cape Wrath. You know, if you want a real remote experience and you want to go on a journey from really no way up to the most northern point of Scotland to Cape Wrath, then, then do Cape Wrath. Um, but you know, I think that's the beauty of these most days. It's like journeys you go on, you know, the, the ground you're covering. Um, that, that's there's something just special about that. Um, you know, starting at one point, and then when you look afterwards, you think, wow. you know, whenever, whenever I do talks and I put the map of the route of Cape Wrath, and it just fills half of Scotland. You know, it's kind of you know, that's in the ground you do over eight days. Um, so yeah, and then Cape Wrath, you don't have drop bags, you have a drop bag and drag his back. Um, so that makes it a bit easier every day. You know, you can have more luxury items, but then that encourages the fast life of drop bags. So if you're not careful, you get to drop bags, you can waste 30 you know, or 20 minutes faffing on food and starting kit out. Where Cape Wrath don't have that. You know, you just like, get to finish every day. Um, Cape Wrath, it seems like more people finishing in the daylight in the afternoon. Where Dragon's Back, you know, most people are finishing 6, 7, 8, 9 o'clock. Um, and so you're getting less sleep and less time to eat. Mm. So that's the, yeah. And then Costa Rica, a coastal challenge. It's just so bloody hot. Oh, it's so <laughs> it's hot. Yeah, but you're starting at five o'clock in the morning, so you're waking up at three. You're not going to bed till eight o'clock because you have kind of briefing at seven. So you're getting less and less sleep. Oh, it's the days aren't so long, but it's so, so hot. I mean, I have never seen my heart rate so high for such an easy pace as on day one. I, thought I, I thought I was going to die on day one. I was like, <laughs> is it physically possible that I am being cooked like a turkey in an oven? <laughs> Well, be, well, because of the humidity, you cook, you heat your yeah. like so inside. So yeah. rather than it like Sahara, so I've heard it's kind of blazing on top of you. It, it's you know you're heating it from the inside because of the humidity. And and yeah, it's so oppressive in the jungle. The humidity. Um, I mean, it's still an amazing, beautiful race. On the catering, oh, the coastal change. Oh my goodness me! What they do. And if you ever want to taste the best, like a pineapple or oh, melon. Watermelon uh, at checkpoints. Oh, that was incredible. Yeah, you know, and the scenery in the beaches at the coast of <gasps> Yeah, and we saw, I saw dolphins on Dominical Beach on day two. It just, oh, like, I wow. saw a dolphin jump through the surf. Oh, yeah. it was amazing. So, we're going to race club now. And yeah, yeah. Says, yeah. It's eight o'clock now. So, Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But it's still all about that preparation needed and doing the right training for that type of race. So, you know, I mean, if you want a really, I mean, they're both very tough, but they are both doable with the right training and right approach. Um, but with Cape Wrath, you've got to be prepared for eight days. Dragon's back is like five days, but it is more mountainous. And I need to be able to go over Cribgok and navigate really well. I think navigation is a lot more important than Dragon's back. Um, yeah. Where with Cape Wrath, you, you know, you've got such good GPS tracks. Yeah. And it's very all the times. Yeah. It, yeah, it's really hard to yeah. which, which ones which which would I go back to? Which I've been asked several times. Um I'd go back to Cape Wrath. Wow. Would you would you do it again just for just for a for a laugh, just for fun? Yeah, yeah. With, with, when MDS was cancelled, um, my initial thought was oh, I'm gonna do Cape Wrath, but then it wouldn't give me enough time to recover before and yes, in September. Um, but my plan is, and I've told Shane this, and I put it out there that when I turn 50 in four years' time, so that gives you an idea of what that hold on. But that's when I'm going to go back um, when I'm 50. 
Oh, oh, brilliant. oh, that would be so fun. Oh, maybe I'll brilliant. volunteer that year and um, maybe hang still out. Be, yeah, wouldn't that still be running competitively when I'm 50? hope so. Yeah. yeah. What can happen in four years? You'll win the bet, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would definitely go back to Cape Breath. Yeah, it's it's yeah. just a beautiful place, isn't it? So beautiful. Yeah. There, there was a, yeah, there's more relaxed atmosphere about the race dragons, but I don't know, maybe because I was going in there expecting to, to do really well and to potentially win it, I felt a lot more pressure on Dragon's back with Kate Raff. just felt really kind of, it's just that remote sense of just relaxing and just enjoying being in that scenery environment. Fantastic. Oh, you made me want to go back now. Oh, how annoying. We shouldn't talk about it. We'll all be there, Sandwood Bay. Well, we've had some really nice comments come in. Um, uh, basically, people. Uh, Chloe Mason says, such a lovely guest and so much info to chew on and digest. Thank you, guys. <laughs> she's still with us, or she took on the name. She's out 10 minutes. And that's it. No, she's still here. She's still here. This is the longest show ever, um, and it's it's fantastic yes. that it's been you. Kate Rath. This is it. Kate Rath, eight days. Eight days, eight hours of chat. Maybe we should keep going for another seven, six and a half hours to eight hours. Yeah, I, th I think it would be rude not to. Um, John Gardner says, this was a great show, everyone. Well done. I think they're like, come on now, guys. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Look, East Enders is on. No, it's not. <laughs> um, Nigel Barnett says, fantastic evening. What a brilliant and chatty guest. If you don't normally have chatty guests. <laughs> well, yeah, most of them chat for at least an okay. hour. <laughs> um, Guy Greychuk says, thanks so much for an enjoyable interview. For, so far, the best yet. Oh, my God, you're the best yet. <gasps> Sorry, who was that? <laughs> you're the best yet. <laughs> who was that? Was that oh, sorry. Uh, Guy Greychuk. Guy, oh, Guy, come and join my fan club. <laughs> well, Guy's actually, he's uh, he's my top patron and he is a massive, massive Innovate fan. But I think now he might be investigating some Montaigne kit, perhaps, and maybe some Scott shoes. <laughs> Oh, we, did, we didn't even get into the Montague. I've actually got the new, oh, we the new podium jacket arrived. I'm going to go and test it tomorrow. Oh, the podium. the podium. That's the super light one, isn't it? It's like yeah, 100, 100 grams. grams. <gasps> wow. Uh, Sorry. Looks amazing. Oh, well, good advert for Montaigne there. Podium jacket, only 115 grams there. And they've got podium pants as well, haven't they, that are like they have, 100 yeah, grams. Here, yeah, yeah. Um, not, not, not just pant pants, but trousers. Um, yeah, yeah, actual trousers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, yeah, I had a press release about that today, so I need to follow up. Um, Shane Williams said, really interesting chat with some great advice from Rainy so Cornwall. Um, Kev JH calls you a top bloke. Hmm. I'm sure Kev's a top bloke too. <laughs> Um, Abby Norman says, Marcus is lovely. I could listen to him all night. High five, high five. Um, oh. <laughs> thank you for your time. Yes. Marcus got me bedtime stories. Tales, tales with Marcus. Tales with Marcus. Um, uh, and great stories, she says. Um, Jeanette Hall says, Claire, once we can travel again, we you can come up to visit. She's in Inverness. This is my sister-in-law, by the way. And we'll, ah, <laughs> we'll, vis <laughs> we'll visit the best places along the route without having to without you having to run a thing. And you can even bring your husband. <laughs> That's her brother. <laughs> Right, get a family message in there. Yeah. Normally, people send messages via WhatsApp or, yeah. or Facebook Messenger, but hey, if your family's having to communicate via YouTube. Then... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Jeanette's a runner as well, so she's really interested in all of this stuff. And she lives in Scotland as well, so this is a particularly interesting one for her. Um, oh, yes. 
Uh, Chrissy TV says thanks to you both. Um, uh, Nigel Barnett said agreed, guy. It was wonderful. Um, Catherine Dolliver says um, thank you for running so long. So glad to catch the end. Definitely going to watch. Go back to watch the whole thing now. At least you can kind of scroll through it when you get bored of that bit. You can just kind of go through it. <laughs> we'll do that on YouTube, don't worry. You kind of get a bit bored of it and skip along. Oh, was that? Okay. Yeah. Now watch it all, folks. Watch it all. Yeah. Minute for minutes. You never know what nugget of advice you might miss if you scroll forward. Yeah, this is amusing, Marcus. You'll like this. Jen Scottney, is he still talking? <laughs> is she behind yes. you? Yes. <laughs> Jen Scottney, in case anyone didn't realise uh, from the podcast about Marcus Scottney, Jen is Marcus's um, long-suffering wife. Um, and, oh, people are people wondering where Sherlock the Beagle is as well. He's asleep on the sofa because Jen's lit a fire. So, um, yeah, he's, he's downstairs sleeping, oh. kind of curled up on the sofa with, with Jen, Aww. relaxing. So, uh, But, yeah, he, he stole the limelight in the Dragon's Back race anyway, so... Did we he? don't talk about Sherlock, we should be talking about him. Yeah. But he appears in Bassett's Alexander's book. <laughs> I've had therapy, I'm, I'm over it now, I'm well into it. Over it so far. Let's just move on. You sound over it. <laughs> oh, I am, I'm well into it over it. Does he have his own Instagram? Sherlock? Yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. He does. And he once had more followers than me, which is why he appears in Bassett's Alexander's book. <laughs> what, um, the one which is called Running Up That Hill or Can't Running Stop Me Running Up That Hill, that's the one, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was when he did, when Bassett's the Dragon's Back race and uh -huh. me afterwards and his publishers sent a message on Instagram asking for a picture of Sherlock on the thing. Oh, really? So in, the, in the middle there's all these pictures of Jasmine Paris, Jazz Bragg, Mimi Anderson, you know, all these top ultra runners and yeah, Sherlock the Beagle. Yeah. Not me. No. Oh no. <laughs> so let's move quickly on, shall we? I think it's time to Let, wrap let's up. Ra let's wrap up. Oh, we've you. left it on a sad note now. Um, <laughs> but how, how can people find out more about you, Marcus? What's your Instagram? What's your website? If they want coaching from you, um, tell us all your details. Uh, it's dead straightforward. Just Google Marcus Scott, mate. And you'll get my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook page, uh, my website. Um, my website's marcusscottley.com. That's dead straightforward. Um, yeah, there's a contact page on the website as well if you want to get in touch with me or so on Instagram or Twitter, um, anywhere like that. And um, email is just marks at marcuscottley.com. They're straightforward. Wonderful. Well, that has been absolutely fantastic. I would like to congratulate you on being the longest chatting member of the Wild Ginger Running show and podcast. Um, it's really great. People can go for an hour and a half run and listen to you all the way around. So perfect timing. Oh no, the poor people. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's not kind of worse than the actors, but yeah, lucky people. No, lucky people. Lucky people. Lucky, lucky people. No, it's great. So. I love podcasts like this for a long run. Um, but thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. Um, oh, thank you for having us. And, um, and hope the injury clears up soon and fingers crossed for MDS 2021 hey fingers crossed yeah well I'm back running I've done three days running I'm running painful so that's uh, yeah big Brilliant. Step, which is really good glad to hear it awesome that's awesome and, well, and thank you, thank so you all much. those that stuck around and listened to us so very kind of you to uh, you know, give it your time to listen to and uh, everybody stay safe and keep washing your hands as well Stay safe. Keep washing your hands, everyone. Fantastic. Thanks to have. Um, thanks so much for coming on, Marcus. And um, I will see you on the trails when this is when the COVID outbreak's all over. Definitely. Take it easy. All the best. Bye. Bye.
thanks for listening. I loved our record long chat with Marcus and I wish him well in recovering from that injury um, to have an absolute blast on the Marathon de Sable in 2021. Marcus and Jen Scottney are really lovely and it's always great to see them and their dog Sherlock. Give them all a follow on Instagram. And they have some new coaching slots available too. So check out their website, marcusgotney.com, if you want their expertise to perform at your best for your next race. Marcus is an athlete for Montaigne, Scott, Sunto, Mountain Fuel, Cliff Bar, Beta Running, Runderwear and Petzl. So check out the podcast show notes for his top recommendations from each brand and links to those films that we mentioned too. If you have a moment to write me a review on iTunes or Google Podcasts, that would be much appreciated. And I'm keen to know where you listen to. Are you running? Are you driving? Are you doing chores? For more trail running and ultra running advice, gear reviews and inspiration, subscribe to Wild Ginger Running on YouTube, it's totally free, and follow me on Instagram at Wild Ginger Running. Next week's live YouTube broadcast is a Q&A hosted by me, so hop on the live chat for answers to your trail and ultra running questions on Wednesday the 6th of May at 6.30pm UK time. If you want to guarantee that I answer your question, support me on Patreon for as little as the price of a cup of coffee each month at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. I don't think I'm going to put next week's Q&A up as a podcast. I think I'm going to use the opportunity to upload one from my archive. Um, so if you're a patron, you'll get the chance to choose which one, from Courtney DeWalter to Scott Jurek to our chat with the Innovate Trail Shoe Designers and chats with Damien Hall, the ultra running coach who came fifth at UTMB in 2018. There will be a poll in our exclusive Facebook patron group to decide which one I do. Patrons also get freebies, discounts and training plans, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail, running and ultra gear. There are only about 120 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. What is not to like? Do it, do it. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I will see you on the trails.